Hello, and welcome to another episode of eDiscovery Chicks, the podcast about all things eDiscovery and legal tech, hosted by two gals who are absolutely humbled by how much our flock has grown in the last two weeks. Uh, anyways, we're your hosts. That's Bree. And that's Angie. And today's episode is going to be starting a new series about the Whoop. EDRM. Don't worry, it's not going to be boring, I promise. I mean, how could it be, really? <laughs> But Angie's we would never. <laughs> exactly. And Andrew's going to tell you more about that in a minute. But before we get started, we want to recognize the undercover chick, Megan Odom. Thank you so much, Megan, for all your hard work. She is our social media guru and helps us with all the dynamic ideas all the time. So if you want to check out her work on LinkedIn, please feel free to visit our page. But before that, Angie, what are you sipping on? Um, and so I am <laughs> sipping on Angel's Envy Rye. And it is my mm. little treat. This is one of my favorite, favorite, favorite whiskeys. And don't ask me to tell you the history of the brand or anything because I don't know that. All I know is delicious. <laughs> <laughs> what are you I drinking? I like Angel's Envy too. I, so do you serve yours like neat? Do you have like a big fancy ice cube? Do you have what? How Just do you drink neat. It? Okay. You know? Wow. Just like straight from the earth. Here tonight. <laughs> Just raw whiskey. <laughs> nice. No, I am just drinking some vodka soda as like, you know, plain and simple as that is. This is the drink that you can drink and still wake up and be all the things tomorrow morning. <laughs> be so all the things. That's what I'm doing. You know what I cannot do that with is beer. So oh God. I went but to wine. And so wine, wine like, too. Sometimes wine. I'm I don't know. It's like all of a sudden I got to a certain age and it's like, whoa, wine is totally kicking my ass right now. Like, how did that the happen? Sugar and the acid, it kills me. Yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, stick to vodka. You'll be all my, right. Yes. <laughs> Listeners, if you take anything away, <laughs> stick That's to the vodka moral of the story and whiskey. For me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So, this podcast is not actually about how to avoid a hangover. Um, <laughs> although, if anyone figures that out, please tell us. <laughs> yeah. We are going to actually talk about e-discovery at some point on this podcast. So, um, <laughs> Which Marie, is probably the reason why we drink. Yeah, one of them. <laughs> uh, today was a public transportation day, though, so that's partly why I'm drinking. <laughs> I need to hear more about this. So, so I take the bus. If I drive into work, it takes 10 minutes. If I take the bus, it takes 45. And so I like – and every time I take the bus, I'm sacrificing. And so I'm going to buy a fancy coffee. As a treat to myself because I saved $20 on parking today. And so I deserve $20 worth of fancy coffee today. Right, right. So it kind of defeats the purpose of saving money. So I like leave for the bus this morning and it's 35 and like sleet rain. Right. And so I like trudge my sad little ass out to the bus stop and I sit there and I wait in the rain. The bus is 10 minutes late. And so I'm sitting there just like, and I can see my house from the bus stop and I'm like, it's so warm. It's so nice and warm in there. Like, I didn't even see my daughter before I left. Like, I could still be in there. Like, the shit is late. Like, I would have been at work by now. That's how long I waited at this bus stop if I'd driven. So I get on the bus and it's uh, 6.45 in the morning. I sit down. I'm like, it smells like a frat house in here. And something hits the back of my foot and I look down and it's a 40 in a paper bag. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, okay. So I get off the bus downtown and this lady just screams at me and she's like, you bitch. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and then she just walked away and I was like, 
and one more fancy coffee. <laughs> I deserve <laughs> one more fancy coffee today. So I like get, you know, get my first fancy coffee of the day and I walk into my office and I feel very protective of this coffee because it's like the best, the best latte. This is my like beacon of light when I take the bus into work. <laughs> and but again, it's pouring down rain. And so I'm like traipsing to work and someone speeds past me and there's a puddle. They like drive through the puddle and spray puddle water on me and it gets mm. in my beautiful fancy latte but i've come too far right like i can't go back and get another one but i can't i also can't drink like street puddle water coffee and so i had to settle for like this sad coffee and those are my first world problems how are you doing (laughs) how was your transportation today (laughs) oh man well i didn't have to go anywhere i mean i went from the bedroom to (laughs) to my office (laughs) yeah yeah I mean, to be fair, I am very dramatic about taking public transportation <laughs> because it's a very minor inconvenience for me. And in fact, like, it's probably good for me because I walk more and I like get out in the world and whatever. Um, and I'm just a giant toddler about it. <laughs> so, well, I'm off I guess my soapbox like, now. But we are happy to be back today. Blame the vodka. And we literally are going to talk about a discovery at some point. Um, one thing we did want to share with you guys, though, is that in, if you're not aware, so we are posting weekly Learn the Lingo on our LinkedIn page. And we really kind of geared this towards folks that are wanting to learn more about eDiscovery. Um, Angie and I both, you know, we've we've both been in eDiscovery for a long time, but we do have a heart for people who are entering into this industry without any previous experience. And I mean, I know when I entered into this industry, there was no such thing as e-discovery. There wasn't like a college course you could take or at paralegal school, they didn't say like, hey, here's all about e-discovery. It didn't exist. And so a lot of our education has come from others in the field and from each other and from sharing. And so Learn the Lingo is kind of our way of giving back a little bit um, and helping people be educated about e-discovery, but it's also kind of laying the the foundation for some of our conversations that we're going to have along the way. So that being said, today we're going to launch our series of conversations. And Angie, would you like to talk about what that series is going to look like? I really would. So uh, it's almost as if we scripted it that way. No. So I do want to say, though, before I like dive into that, that yeah, I mean, this whole podcast is sort of premised on like, let's bring e-discovery to people. Let's make it fun. Let's make it approachable. Let's bring alcohol and have some humor and some jokes and some four-letter words and like make it not this stuffy kind of unapproachable thing. And so that's our mission. That's, we're going to start off with some of the foundations. We're going to start off with the the skeleton, if you will, of e-discovery. And we will flush that skeleton out throughout this series. And so the series is going to be about the EDRM, which is the e-discovery reference model. It's also a nonprofit. It's a resource hub. Um, It's an amazing, amazing organization. But for the purposes of our podcast, we're just going to talk about the e-discovery reference model because... That is truly that's that's what you build your whole e-discovery program on, and it's really just the rules of the road. So we thought that'd be a good starting point. So, I mean, Bree, where did, where did it even come from? How do we end up here? Who the heck knows? No, I'm just kidding. So the EDRM <laughs> is what we call from it. legend and myth. Re- <laughs> the e-discovery <laughs> reference model, and it was kind of born out of necessity. We all needed to have 
an agreed upon workflow? Like, what are we talking about when we're talking about e-discovery? What does it involve? You know, what are the steps of the process, et cetera? So in 2005 is when the EDRM was born. And since then, it's been tweaked a bit, not too terribly much, actually. Um, And it's changed ownership a couple of times. Um, but the last time that it was updated was in was last year, actually. And the most significant update was the info governance part of the EDRM, which is at the very beginning. And so that's the part of the workflow that's dealing with data, data retention, data privacy, kind of the governance of your data. And we are going to talk about that step, but we've actually made a decision that we're going to talk about that step at the end, because me and Angie, we're just kind of backwards people. <laughs> we're, we are flip side upside down sometimes, but we we felt like it would make more sense to just to kind of go over the uh, info governance portion of the EDRM once we've covered the other stages of that workflow. So Angie, what are the other stages of the workflow? Yeah. So, okay. First of all, we're going to link to this in our show notes. Um, the EDRM has a really beautiful diagram of all of the stages. And so I'm going to just preview them really quickly for for everybody. We're going to put a pin in that. Um, and then each episode, we're going to talk about one of those stages. So um, the first stage that we're going to talk about in the subject of today's episode is identification and preservation. So if you think about it, if you're ever involved in some sort of legal matter where you're going to have to you're going to have to investigate. You're going to have to look at people's emails, produce documents, look at texts, you know, anything like that. Um, you're going to have to figure out what data you need to look at and who you need to get it from. And so that's identification. Preservation is how do I make sure it's not deleted or changed or altered or somehow made inaccessible? So identification and preservation. What do you need? Who do you get it from? How do you keep it? That's what we're going to cover in today's episode. In later episodes, we're going to talk about the other stages of the EDRM, which are collection and processing. And that is, how do you gather the stuff you need to look at? And then processing is, how do you render it into into something that you can review? How do you make it not just like computer gobbledygook code? How do you make it something that looks like an email when you go to review it? The next stage is review and analysis. That's where you actually go through all the stuff that you've collected and processed and you figure out what it means in the context of whatever you're doing, whether that's an investigation, a lawsuit, response to a subpoena, what have you. Next stage is production. Oftentimes, if you're doing one of these sorts, if you're gathering documents and reviewing them, you're going to have to turn them over to somebody. Maybe that's the other party in the lawsuit. Maybe it's somebody else at your company. Maybe it's a government agency. Production is how do you do that? And it's surprisingly complicated. Like I'm still learning about that. Um, It's fascinating, but we're putting a pin in it. And then the, the last stage is presentation. So if you're producing things to the other side, odds are you're going to have to present it in some form or fashion, like at a deposition, in a trial, in a hearing, um, in front of a board of directors, you know, what have you. And so that, that part of the EDRM is how do you present things in a persuasive way? How do you make them appear in front of your audience? What are the things that you need to consider in order to Make your presentation effective for whatever purpose you have. So those are the stages of the EDRM. To recap, we have phase one, InfoGov. Phase two, identification and preservation. Phase three, 
collection and processing, phase four, review and analysis, phase five, production, and phase six, presentation. And Brie is about to shit her pants right now because all I do is talk in bullet points. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, and that... That concludes today's episode of the E-Discovery Jigs. <laughs> that concludes Jigs. today's presentation. <laughs> and good night. No, that was a great explanation, Angie. And thank you. I um, Hopefully that, that was helpful for those that might not understand what the EDRM is and a good reminder for those of us that do. And the reason why we decided that we were going to kind of stage our series based on the EDRMs, not just for educational purposes, we're actually trying to make sense because, you know, Angie and I can go off on a million rabbit trails forever in a day and talk about all kinds of things. But we felt like it would be great to follow kind of the workflow of what we do for a living, right? And, and as we go along the way, we'll be sharing some expert advice, opinions, insight. I mean, I know Angie and I are super smart and brilliant in all the ways, but Wonderful, we actually... Perfect. <laughs> Should run this whole country. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But talking about identification and preservation, what does that even freaking mean, Angie? Ooh, okay. So, like I said, identification is figuring out what data you need and who you need to get it from. We're going to dive into like a little bit more detail on how you figure that out in a couple minutes. But basically, that's what it is. And then preservation means how are you going to actually make sure that that data is available to you? Are you going to lock it down in place? Are you going to collect it in order to preserve it? How are you going to go about doing that? In the old days, you know, we just make photocopies of everything, but it doesn't quite work that way anymore. So that's like a, a high level overview of what those two things are. Thanks for that. And I and I think it's important to mention that the the whole workflow of the EDRM kind of launches based on an incident, right? It's going to either be that we enter into litigation or we've been served a subpoena or we have reason to believe that there is an employee incident or um, there's bad behavior. There's people stealing people or things from us. Um, there's allegations you that have been someone. made. You, yeah, we want to <laughs> sue someone, whatever. Um, but there's some initiating action And sometimes it's just even the inkling of a thought um, that there might be something awry that is that action that kind of launches this. What is it? The seek launch. Sabrina and I I should not run rocket ship, to be clear. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, are we supposed to launch this? Like like right now, right now? Oh, God, (laughs) I haven't had coffee yet. (laughs) I took the bus here. I'm not mentally prepared for it today. (laughs) That's an initiating event, right? You're going to have an initiating event that starts the whole workflow. And so when we talk about um, identification and preservation, we're identifying who are the people that are involved. If we're suspecting that someone is stealing from us, for example, who is that person? Who are they talking to? What are they stealing from us? Um, what are you? You're quite you know, fixated what, on on theft. Is everything I, okay no, with you? I'm the most <laughs> cynical, crazy person because I mean I have done a lot of internal investigations, and it turns you. I will tell you, it's like I have PTSD. <laughs> so I just assume everybody's trying to steal everything all the time. But um, anyway, whatever that is, whatever the case might be, maybe it's a subpoena and it's super vanilla. So maybe that's the event that kind of launches the EDRM, right? And so what do, who is involved? What record, where are the records? Who do we need to contact? 
who do we need to tell that they need to preserve all of their communications and all of their data? Those are the kind of questions that start running through your head at the very beginning of the EDRM. So why do we even care, Angie? <laughs> like, why do we do this to begin with? What happens if we don't? Yeah, let's back up. Why give a flock? <laughs> Um, no, I give a sorry, the e-dis- the e-discovery checks puns, they're just going to keep coming, folks. So buckle in. <laughs> um, so there are a couple of reasons. So the big one, and I think the one that most people know about is that spoliation, that is the deleting data, that can actually land you in pretty hot water. And there are a couple, the federal rules of civil procedure were amended somewhat recently to deal with this. And basically, you can land in hot water if you had a duty to preserve data. Um, you didn't do it, and that that data is forever lost. So, assuming those three things are true, you can get fines, and those fines can be anything from something nominal, you know, a dollar to millions of dollars. You know, in the worst case scenario, the court can say, "Hey, you know what?" You spoliated this data. Your conduct is so egregious that I'm going to, I, the court, I'm going to tell the jury that they can assume that you deleted that data because it was bad for your case. And then in the most severe situations, the, the judge or the court can actually just dismiss the case. You know, if you delete data and they, and the court feels that without that data, the, like justice cannot be carried. Like it's going to be a miscarriage of justice to continue with this trial. The court can say, hey, you know what? We're not even going to do this. Like you no longer have a claim because your conduct was so bad. So that's spoliation. But apart from that, you know, you you really want to preserve data that's going to be relevant to a legal matter in case it bolsters some of your claims or defenses. You know, maybe you need that data to prove a point. Maybe you need that data to defend yourself against what someone is accusing you of. Um, There also might be state regulations or um, like other regulatory requirements that that mean you have to keep that data or you're going to be subject to fines or some other regulatory action. So basically, there are a shit ton of reasons to care about this. And you absolutely should. I mean, I think it's important to note that it's not only your business that can be sanctioned. It's you as a person that can be sanctioned. So that's kind of scary. The law firm can be sanctioned. Exactly. And you can have reputational harm if you delete data and then it's out like like Rudy Giuliani. Now we're talking about mm-hmm. it. And like you and I don't give a fuck that he was fined $150,000. That doesn't affect our life, but it does affect his reputation. Right. Right. And everybody that's associated with him. Maybe we should so, talk about when you should start caring about preserving data. Exactly. Well, it's important to know that when you have that initiating event of, you know, you might have that subpoena or you might have a litigation, like a lawsuit that walks in the door. That's a very cut and dry event. We know that it's happened, you know, or here's a claim that's been filed. We know that there's a certain time and date that in which we are required by law to preserve data, to respond to that litigation or to that complaint or how, whatever it is. I think sometimes it gets confusing when we are speculating, you know, hey, I think this person might be stealing from us, or I think this person's up to Again, no good. With that or theft, man. No, this happens all the time. Like I can't believe no, it does. you were. It does. No, I'm just giving you shit. <laughs> <laughs> like Angie, I'm not crazy. 
I mean, oh, no, I have, I can let me validate you and then I'll continue giving you shit. <laughs> I'm like, it's really, I seriously could write novels on this. Um, but no, Ooh, like I'd read you it. have a, what'd you say? I'd read it. Oh dude. I I mean, first of all, I have to wait till I'm like 80 so that most people are dead that I'm like <laughs> writing about. And then, yeah, then I can write about it. But anyway, so <laughs> enough about that. No, but, let's put a pin in no, that. No. Uh, let's put a pin in that. So maybe you've heard that there's some shenanigans going on at the water cooler and Bob's like making some comments that are not so great. Right. And you're like, I don't even know if this is a big deal. Somebody went to HR about it. I don't even know if I need to pay attention to this or like if there's any validity to it, what do I do? Well, you kind of have to, you do have to pay attention to it. It's like the, it, it could be the initiating event for a potential legal hold. That certainly it's an initiating event for um, an investigation, right? And so you want to be able to preserve data right away. The worst thing that you can do is ignore some warning flags of a situation that's going on and not preserve the data. And then all of a sudden Bob leaves because he's like, whoa, they're on to me. I'm out. And he wipes his phone, wipes his computer, gets rid of all the files and evidence. And you don't have anything to, you know, to validate, 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 again, should not be in charge of rockets. (laughs) (laughs) And so, you know, I think that the moral of the story is as early as you know that there is an event, then you start the preservation process. And, And sometimes whenever it is like a litigation or a subpoena or something very cut in stone like that, you'll start with a legal hold immediately. An illegal hold notice is a notice that goes out to your employees or to individuals who are responsible for maintaining data that could have responsive information that is involved with that lawsuit or that subpoena or isn't relevant in some way. So they're illegally bound to not purge or destroy that data. So when we submit a legal hold notice, it's either going to that custodian, which custodian is another word for an employee or a person that owns that data, or it's going to go to a data steward, which is another way of saying someone who owns that data source. So perhaps they're the administrator of Teams or they're the administrator of Box.com at your company. They might be the ones that are responsible for preserving that data in place so that nobody can purge anything and you're able mm-hmm. to have access to all of the information that you may need that might be responsive to that lawsuit, that subpoena, or whatever the initiating event might be um, that starts that EDRM workflow. Like, first of all, let's put a pin in legal holds. We're going to have a whole episode about it. Don't you, don't you worry. Um, But just to flag it, like the legal standard for when you have to start preserving data is whenever you reasonably suspect litigation. And so to Bree's point, you know, that can be an inkling, you know, your spidey senses could go up or whatever. And that can be the thing. It can be a rumor that your, your chief legal officer hears at a cocktail party. You know, it can be kind of anything. It's an art and not a science. So. So that's that. And then as far as like who goes about preserving this data, I feel like that can kind of fall into two categories, like in, in-house or outsource. So I don't know, Bree, do yeah. you want to dive into that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, sometimes it makes sense for people in-house to preserve data. Like if Angie is involved with, you know, some sort of claim and she's got all the emails in her possession and control of 
this claim, and then we can tell Angie, hey, we're going to send you a legal hold notice. We're telling you that you need to preserve this, these emails. That's going to be your responsibility. But sometimes you have a matter that's a little bit more uh, above and beyond where you might, it's important that we actually capture somebody's entire computer image or their mobile device image and do a forensic collection of that data. For example, if there's someone who has stolen, you know, goods from us or people from us, if there's somebody who's a wrongdoer at, um, and we need to ca- catch them in the act, we need to figure out what their motivations were. We need to figure out what they were doing in certain times or inst- instances. Oh, and, and we've got to get freaky forensic- shit you can do if you think people have deleted data and you want to do a forensic yeah. collection. And I think we'll yeah. we'll probably dive into that in a later episode. Oh but yeah, you can do some. Oh no, I would, I wouldn't super nerd out on it because it's like my favorite thing to do. God, I love it. But there's all kinds of forensics that can be done where you can figure out. Hey, did somebody plug in a USB device? Did somebody print yes. something? Did somebody purge Find something? Those artifacts. Somebody... Yes. And so that might be when you want to get an expert involved. Also, you might want to get an expert involved when simply you don't want your employees to sit on the witness stand in the courtroom and say, "Your Honor." This is what I found in my investigation, because perhaps that's a liability that you're not interested in taking. So (laughs) there's a lot of reasons why we might go outside of our own uh, company or our own employees and get expertise and hire an expert service. There's also PI services. I mean, I've had to hire private investigators to help me with some internal investigations and gather data and evidence that then gets used in litigation. That's oh, that shit above is juicy. Beyond. Oh, super juicy. Yeah, I mean, those are types of, uh, you know, instances in which you might hire an outside resource. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're looking internally and you're looking at your own employees to preserve their own data. But then you also can, you, you have your own applications that now they're much more sophisticated than they were five, 10 years ago. And we're able to preserve data in place. And so we don't have to worry about, hey, Angie, save all your emails, all right? We can actually (laughs) save Angie's emails for her so she doesn't have to be burdened with that uh, obligation. Not only that, but may I fuck up and delete it? That's where I was going next. It's like, (laughs) may I strongly, strongly suggest that you don't allow your custodians, that is like the people who own the data, you don't allow them to self preserve and self collect. Like, you can work with an e-discovery software that will use there are things called APIs. Um, I can't remember the acronym is, but they base it's a handshake between the the native application. So like let's take Google, Gmail. Um, like let's take that as an example. There's a handshake between the e-discovery software and Google where you as the person trying to preserve the data can go into that e-discovery software and be like, hey, tell Google not to delete this shit. And it does it. It locks it down on the back end. And so if you're an employee, someone who's using Gmail and your data has been locked down on the back end and you go in and try to delete it, it'll be like, nah, dog, like that's not happening. So they're like, that's an excellent solution. But should we pivot to like the kinds of data sources you might have to preserve? Yeah. And I, I mean, I was just going to add on to what you're saying, Angie. Yeah, that please yes if, and me. That, well, first of all, in the very beginning days, boys and girls of e-discovery, nobody had the ability <laughs> to preserve in place, right? And so we had to trust people like, don't delete your stuff. 
And that means that you had to remember, which if you're like me, you forget what happened yesterday and you're like, oh, snap, I accidentally deleted that email and it might have been relevant. Like it's ridiculous, right? That we would ever expect that a custodian would have the uh, ability to really think about the legal implications of they're every single thing they're doing with and, pres- other yeah, shit. and preserve it while also trying to work. I mean, that's yeah, just they're ridiculous. like living their life, doing their job. They're like, okay, right. Not my problem. And so now we have those resources where we can preserve in place. When we do have software and tools that help us preserve in place, it's important that we understand the defensibility that's there, right? Like we want to make sure that that software and whatever the tools are that we're using are preserving in a defensible manner that we can Mm -hmm. audit, that we have control over, and that we can prove up in court. What you're saying, Angie, about, you know, what data sources are we talking about? That's huge because there's so many data sources when we tell custodians like, hey, anything that you have that's responsive, make sure you don't delete it. They don't understand all the data sources that that really impacts because it depends on whatever. Because we're speaking legalese to them. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it depends on like what what the matter is all about. Like you might have a, a car crash incident and there's all different kinds of things that are involved with what we have to preserve. We have to preserve the dash cam. We have to preserve the phone records of like what the the driver called in. Right. Maybe we have a robbery and somebody goes into your house and you're like, okay, let's check the ring doorbell. Do they have a smart fridge? Right. You might be able to get right. data from the fridge or the microwave, or do they have an echo dot? Like, or um, what do you call it? A home pod. I mean, mm-hmm. all those things, ever all of your smart devices in your house, they're all storing data. And that data can be implicated in a lawsuit. In the corporate setting, and you're looking at people's web web history, you're looking at the mm-hmm. whether or not they're able to plug in devices, you're looking at their IP addresses, you're looking at, you know, was there mass movement of files? Was there mass deletion of files? Was there visiting websites that are inappropriate? Um, was there visiting websites <laughs> where they could have uploaded materials that are inappropriate? Were they I mean, there's a lot. Yeah. Or were they completely off task and they're not doing their job at all? There's also data sources <laughs> that are that like you can't really preserve. So if you think about something like um, like a Salesforce or you know sometimes Tableau, there are certain applications um, where the data in them is really dynamic and interactive. And so there are some data sources where the courts have said, okay, look, you can't really preserve this. Like you can't save it. You can't screenshot it effectively because it loses all of its meaning when you do that. And so sometimes if like, especially in the business context, you might have to offer somebody up for a deposition in order to like preserve that data or whatever, because they need to talk about how that system works, how that, how they interact with the data in this way. Um, And so that's, that's a whole other like can of worms. Yeah, and something else to consider when you're when you're thinking about preserving data is especially in a corporation, you have retention policies, right? And so I know that we we've said that we're going to put a pen in the whole info governance portion of the EDRM and talk about it later, which is where a data retention policy would come into play. But in terms of e-discovery, it's important to know what those retention policies are. Like 
if you know that after 90 days, all the email in someone's account is going to be purged, you need to get on that, right? We also, I think web history reporting is also something that gets overlooked and that can easily like go off the radar in terms of retention. If somebody is accused of wrongdoing and we don't capture their web history right away, there might only be 30 days, 60 days, 90 days or whatever that it's available. We need to understand what that is so that we're capturing that data in time. Also thinking about when employees terminate, you know, what's your, what's your corporation's termination process? When somebody terminates, are they like wiping all their voicemail? They're wiping all their devices. Well, like what's happening because, and how long does it take for that process to happen? Because you might want, need to have that laptop sent to you, or you might need to preserve those voicemails or whatever it is before it gets wiped. And then you don't have that evidence anymore. Um, I know that we said that we're going to put a pin in talking about legal hold notifications, but I do want to just state this like differential because I think that it's something that gets confused all the time. And Angie's already laughing at me. I can see her face, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I, we seriously have to, we have to explain this like on a daily basis where I work. When you talk about legal hold, are you talking about a legal hold notification? Or are you talking about preserving in place? And those two terms get intertwined all the time mm-hmm. because a legal hold notice is actually the legal notice, whereas putting paper. data on a legal hold is like preserving data. And that's what like Microsoft, for example, might call it when we preserve data in place. So we need to make sure when we're having those those conversations between IT and the legal department. When we're using terms like legal hold and and um, preserving in place, that we're all on the same page of what each other means by that, because I can guarantee you that there's a lot of cases where we're talking about two different things. That's a really that's a really important point and kind of dovetails into what I was going to say, which is that in any time when you're preserving data, you have to a collaborate like cross organizationally. You know, you have to be able to to sync with your IT teams or whatever and figure out if you're both you might both be saying the word legal hold and mean two entirely different things. And then kind of along those lines, it's really important to balance the needs of your business against legal standards and privacy laws. So like Yes, in a perfect world, in every case, we are preserving every single iota of data. We are boiling the ocean, right? And so if you've got, for example, a case where you have $10,000 in damages, but truly preserving all of the data that could possibly be implicated by that is going to cause $100,000 worth of delays in the business, you're not going to do that because the risk isn't isn't worth it. And so there is always this balancing act of like, okay, where do we draw that line? When is good enough? Enough. Mm-hmm. For sure. And I and I think also when we're talking about preserving in place, we have to consider like the capabilities of whatever that system is or whatever that data source is. And what our needs are in terms of like what we're legally obligated to do for that matter, right? So you might have, you know, data that resides in an email account or data that resides in box.com or in OneDrive or SharePoint or what have you. And those systems inherently have the ability to preserve data in place. And so you're able to, you know, initiate flags or use software 
to help mm-hmm. you initiate those legal holds in place. But there are data sources, like for example, on-prem network drives, or you know maybe Salesforce, or maybe your document management system, where they don't inherently have that preserve in place functionality. When you have to think about like, okay, well, what do I do? I'll have to collect that data in order to preserve it. So maybe I, if Angie's involved in some sort of cl- in insurance claim, for example, and all of her insurance documentation is saved on. And, and no, no, I didn't <laughs> say you stole anything. Calm down. Um, but all of her pertinent you know, information is, is saved on a network share. It may be that we collect all of that data to preserve it. So we don't have to worry about well, what happens if the network share blows up or Angie decides to like, you know, leave the company and purge everything on her way out the door. Like we don't have to worry about any of her shenanigans. Um, thinking about strategy and, and it all has to do with the type of data source and the capabilities that you have um, in preserving in place. I think that's a really good thought process to have um, in this step. Um, so should we maybe talk about some of the policies that can affect what you can actually preserve? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that each corporation is um, responsible for coming up with policies to dictate how they handle data. And there's usually multiple different policies involved, right? So you might have a bring your own device policy, or you might have a privacy policy, or you might have a data retention policy, a legal hold policy. There's all kinds of policies that companies will come up with. And it's important that you have them, but it's even more important that you follow them because the worst <laughs> thing that you can do is say, hey, this is how we handle data. This is, how, this is what our document retention policy is. And then you absolutely don't implement it and don't follow it. So some things that I have found that are really helpful is to kind of have a multi-layered approach. So you, number one, you initiate what the policy is. So the policy has to exist. Like, no duh, that's like a no-brainer, right? You gotta have the policy. <laughs> number two, you gotta train people to understand what that policy is. So having some regular training when it's like onboarding, or maybe you have quarterly or biannually training. Please let it be initiated. annual. Don't bug me with that shit more than once every 12 months. <laughs> I'm not doing Calm it. yourself down, everyone. It's important. <laughs> I mean, make it fun. Make me, me and Angie will record training for you. Me, man. super fun. <laughs> Maybe that's our next job, right? Um, <laughs> but no. <laughs> God, um, but having have that training that's available to your employees, and not only do they have to, are they required to take it, but have it referenced in multiple different places, like to remind them of what their responsibilities are, remind them of what's involved in terms of like what are the data sources I have to re- preserve, and what does it mean if I don't? What if I be want to be a punk and not follow the rules? Like you can get fined, you know. Be a punk. <laughs> <laughs> And then making sure that you have the software in place to help you. There's a lot of tools available today um, between, you know, Microsoft has abilities, but then there's also other software that's out there on the market today that from very reputable companies to help you manage your data. Make sure that you're utilizing those tools to the best of your ability. And then also when we're talking about um, preserving data, Another aspect that we did not discuss today is chain of custody, Um, but that's something that we need to make sure that we are documenting because 
We want to make sure, for example, if I have to take Angie's computer because she is stealing from us, we knew it all (laughs) along and she was, we thought she was cute and funny, but she's really up to no good. Um, We want to make sure. (laughs) Oh man, it's all a ruse. (laughs) That we document where her computer's been and who had it, et cetera. So anyway, um, I, Angie, I think that we've covered a lot of the first stage of the EDRM um, yeah. today. The we you covered know, some territory, identification, and preservation. I love What'd it. You say? Should we? I said we covered a lot of territory. Should we? Should we wrap this up? Yes. So thank you guys for putting up with us tonight and for listening to our ideas. Uh, We hope that you've learned something about the EDRM tonight, and we hope that you'll tune in as we follow along the workflow of the EDRM. If there is something that's of interest to you um, along the way, that's an important topic that you want us to cover, you want to hear our thoughts about it, you want to hear us joke around about it, whatever, (laughs) let us know. Um, We're happy to have those conversations. Don't forget to follow us. Where, Where can they follow us, Angie? Oh, yeah. Okay. So follow us on LinkedIn. You can find us at eDiscovery Chicks. Subscribe to the podcast and shout us out to your friends and coworkers, but only the cool ones. And uh, we will see you again in a couple of weeks. So thanks yeah. so much for listening. Bye. Thank you. Bye.